Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowe, and Pastor Adam Osier wrap up their discussion on the Augsburg Confession, looking at a New Testament passage and applying it to Article 28. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and faithful service to His kingdom since 1964. To learn more or apply, look at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osier. Oh man! If you, you guys could this? only if you guys could only hear the in between chitter chatter. Uh, we just had a massive uh, yes. conversation Watch about party. bands. Yeah, uh, we love our music and we love our cheesy yes. '90s music when it comes down to it, and that's all right. And you don't need to know about it, right? Because now we're going to talk about eschatology, something totally yes. not controversial or confrontational. No, not at all. I I think that uh, this particular passage we're going to look at today is. One of the passages that really helped me to solidify my eschatology. And it's funny because we're talking about, you know, Article 28. We're talking about mm-hmm. the power of prince. We're talking about separation of the two kingdoms, right? And, and one she, of the kingdoms is literally the temporal kingdom. Yes. It, it's, kind of, it's interesting. So, But there, what, what, what we're getting at in the, the last wrinkle that, well, there's tons of wrinkles we haven't explored, but the last big one that we haven't brought up is that there are eschatological implications for this idea of the two kingdoms, mm-hmm. right? What the right-hand kingdom and the left-hand kingdom going into eternity, what that looks like. And that's where talking about the kingdom of Jesus Christ comes to play. Because what Jesus confesses here in John 18 has implications for right now, mm-hmm. but it also means that our confession of the two kingdoms has implications for what he t- teaches us about eschatology. Yeah, cool. All right, well, let's get into it. I'll read the text for us, and that we can jump into the discussion. Uh, from John 18, verses 33 through 38, I read in Jesus' name says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, and that I might not be delivered over to the Jews." But my kingdom is not from the, from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Uh, here ends the reading for today. Amazing. Amen. Yeah. What a passage. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. So what, why this passage? What? What? Oh, my word. Yeah. Why not this <laughs> yeah, passage? Right. If you don't yeah. see it, it's like... I know, <laughs> but like where, where are we going with this? Well, where do you want to start? First of all, just, just facetiously speaking, I want to get to the place in my life where I have my own headquarters. Oh, this yeah. is pretty awesome. Solomon's not, portico you know, or something. AFLC yeah. headquarters. No, Pilate has his own headquarters. And and for for a, such a whiny, sniveling rat that Pilate is, as he's portrayed in the Gospels, he has dude has his own headquarters, and that is not fair. 
<laughs> yeah, well, he had to pay with that or for that by being immortalized in the Apostles' Creed for all eternity as uh, <laughs> the guy who outed Jesus, or you know, yeah, who, being the whiny, sniveling rat, being that, that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he did have a Honda because he oh, of his own accord. Oh boy! All right. Sorry. <laughs> That look, if if we could broadcast looks, Jason Jason just gave Brad a good look here. <laughs> I, we're done at this point in time. Let's just wrap it up. You guys just play out the episode dress in your heads from here on out. No, uh, the obvious center of this passage, the the, the mm-hmm. repeated theme is my yeah. kingdom is not of this world, and right. that's the clarifying principle. But the 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 first time. Jesus answers it. It's the words after that that are really big for us. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If mm-hmm. my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Huge. That's, yeah. that, that's just... And in, in, I would argue mm-hmm. until my dying day that this one verse depicts where the generic American church has failed time and time and time again. Hmm. When we try to take up the sword, you mean? Wait, we try to take yep. up, we, you know, we, we talk about the culture war, we talk about grabbing power, mm. we talk about these things like we need to put Christians in, in, in pu- you know, public office to Christianize the world. And, the religious and, right. Yeah, and all of this stuff. And everything the generic American church does confesses that we don't really believe Jesus won. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll leave it at I mean, everything I've harped on for the last 273 episodes, everything I've harped on for six years on this podcast comes down to the actions of the generic American church reveal that we don't really believe Jesus is in charge, that he needs our help, that he is not Lord and Savior. That's what it be- reveals. And Jesus, uh, in his dying moments, you know, right, the last thing he does before he's nailed to a cross, he says, you know what, if this was a problem... My followers would already be fighting you. You know, if it wasn't a problem when Jesus was being crucified, it's not a problem now since he's conquered the grave, mm-hmm. ascended to the right hand of the, the Father, and, and lives and reigns for all eternity until he comes back when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a problem. But the church, the American church, the generic American church is always clamoring for power. At which point he'll set up his kingdom here on earth. Oh boy, <laughs> I did it. I yeah. went there. That was about that was about five minutes earlier than I was ready for. Right? So the, the eschatological yeah. implication, we can get there, but but you know. So so what about the Christian that you know is concerned to see the what where our culture is heading? No. Blah blah blah. You know, I'll, uh, we should be concerned yeah. where our culture is heading. Yes. We should be concerned where our culture is heading as citizens. Right. You know, uh, the, absolutely as Christians, because we can't stop being Christians, right? And the answer is, guess what? We do need more Christians in politics. Right. We need more Christians right. who are judges. We need more Christians who are managers and leaders and CEOs and, and plumbers and everything else. Why? Because we know how to love our neighbors. But is, so, so then this is an issue of purpose. Yeah. Why are we wanting to see a difference in this particular realm of the left? Why are we wanting to to make changes? Why are we wanting to see the right things happen? And I think the answer to that question is uh, is really the key to understanding, do, do you get this? Yeah. Do you understand this passage? Do you understand John 18? You know, so, and Go ahead. Well, the Christian answer to that is we want the gospel to go forward and be proclaimed, mm-hmm. right? and we leave it there. Yep. The, the vocational answer to that is God's order in creation. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And if your purpose um, for wanting to see change is so that Jesus can, I actually heard this line, by the way, when, when uh, Donald Trump won in 2016, the line that was said by an individual who I know was God is still on his throne as though Donald Trump's victory, for instance, in 2016 was the, um, the continuing, um, force that kept the son of God on, on the throne. Yeah, as if he hadn't been elected, then God would not be on his throne. Exactly. As though, as though this is God's demonstration of power, authority, uh, sovereignty, uh, is all based on whether or not we are succeeding politically in the United States. Well, and in, in the reality of it is, if God can spread the church while Nero and Domitian and Diocletian are rulers of the known world, the, the last five presidents of the United States are not going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Nor is Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un or, you know... Anybody else that Adam yeah. could reference like that? Uh, I, yes. I, I, I wish, <laughs> Alex Trebek or yeah, right. Ken Jennings. Yeah. 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 I wish I could pronounce one of the Iranian na- leaders' names. Oh, uh, sure. Khomeini. Khomeini. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, and he's not even the, the president anymore, but all of these people, not threats to God's sovereignty. Yeah. You know, one, and, and I think that's, you know, if for our, our friends are in the generic evangelical Christian person that's frustrated or, uh, you know, it might be a, a good thing for them to consider, are they hanging their hopes on, on those things instead mm-hmm. of uh, Christ and his kingdom? It, it's, it's a really hard self-reflection to make, but this is where your idolatry is revealed. Right. Right yep. here, right? This is a matter of repentance for all of us. Yeah. You know, we, we can pick on people, but there but for the grace of God go I. I'm, I'm just as guilty. And this is not to say you should not advocate for a political party, that you should not campaign, but you always do so primarily in love for your neighbor. You know, hmm. yeah, one of the most underappreciated elements of the catechism that I don't talk about enough, but I've, I've been talking about it more recently, is Luther's explanation to the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. God's will is done without our help. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we pray it would be done among us. And so that, that you, even by sinning, even by completely opposing the will of God, you can't thwart God's will. And if at any moment you could, God wouldn't be God. That's what's at play here in these notions. And so Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Christians got to stop trying to make his kingdom of this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things we like to do is, you know, Jesus here, we like, this boils down to the whole issue of the problem of evil. Right. And, and we, we look around the world and how many people do you know who have, I mean, personally, I think we all know individuals personally who due to the, the reality that we don't see God's kingdom in the fullest sense with our eyes right now, we see the failings of the left-hand kingdom that they deconstruct. Right, they they walk away from the faith. They deconstruct because because it looks like the church is losing. Because it looks like the church is losing, and and it's interesting if you go to this passage, it's like we know the end of the story here. I mean, uh, I mean, literally the, the, the end of the story. The end of the story. Yeah, but but even in this passage, Jesus was delivered under you know over to Pontius Pilate, and under Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. We say that weekly in church, right? We confess it together. So he was crucified. He didn't win in the way that the world would have expected him to win. And because the the whole point is 
the world isn't the point. Like this world isn't the point. It, it serves a purpose. It serves a function. We, for love of neighbor, do the right thing, like we've talked about. But it's not about. And, and I think when we, when we start to focus on, uh, when, when people deconstruct because of the problem of evil, when they see things breaking down, when they see are, are fearful that God's not on his throne because there are negative things happening in the cultural tide of America against Christianity, uh, point them back to this verse. My kingdom isn't of this world. Uh, this is not the point, fellas. You know, and, and I think Jesus is making that proclamation for all of us to, to remind us. It should ring in our heads daily. My kingdom's not of this world. This isn't all, this isn't it, right? I think you could write a commentary on all four of the gospels where that was the theme of the gospels. My kingdom is not of this world. So that when Jesus announces his presence at Nazareth yep, the and they march him at hand. They they march him up to throw him off the cliff. Yeah. Uh, my kingdom is not of this world. And when after the feeding of the five thousand, all the Jews want to make him the bread king, mm-hmm. my kingdom is not of this world. And when he has his conversation with Nicodemus, you know, you're the ruler of Israel, my kingdom is not of this world. And with every one of the miracles you know, where, where Jesus does something outside the normal bounds of creation, my kingdom is not of this world. And over and over and over again, he teaches to us in his earthly ministry that his kingdom is not of this world. And, and Christians, we, like our first move is to forget about eternity, is to, is to make the temporal realm the outcome of our faith. Mm-hmm. And the... The outcome of our faith is tangible, but it's also eternity, so that when creation is remade, we get a perfect creation that is Jesus' kingdom. Not a, not a broken creation, not a fallen creation, not one plagued by drought and pestilence and flood and disaster and sin and evil and shame and, and sadness. No, a, a perfect one. And we can't achieve what Jesus' kingdom is in a perfect world or in, in a broken world. You know, we can't make what we're experiencing in Christian utopia, and it's foolish to try. What we do try is what God has laid out for us to do in the law, because that's what rules, that's how God rules in the temporal kingdom. Love God, love your neighbor. You know, we do that, we fail, we go to church, and we receive the forgiveness of mm-hmm. sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we hear that through his word. And it, yep. it's interesting in this verse when he's talking, for this purpose I was born, for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And, and that's the whole thing, like the idea of where, where do we find truth? Where is the, um, where is the, the right, the shipwright, you know, the thing that's keeping the, the ship upright. The it's the voice. Is that what it is? Well, the rudder steers the ship. The keel, isn't that what keeps it from uh, flipping? I don't, I don't know. I, I should I'm have from picked... North Dakota. What do I know about sailing? <laughs> I, uh, the bobber. Well, I'm from Minnesota. I, I can fish, right? Yeah, you know, the, the bobber. bobber. What keeps the bobber upright, you know, from, you know, it's, it's the fact that Christ's word proclaims that we are forgiven in him. And, and the, the, whoever listens to his voice, don't listen. Li- listen to the one who says, my kingdom's not here. Listen to that one. That's who we should be listening to. And, and I, I like that. Whoever listens to my voice, his voice is truth. He's equating himself with truth, which makes sense when just before John said he's the way, the truth, and life. So you want to hear my obnoxious response to all this? My, my cheesy, roll your eyes. Is yes. it worse than Brett's? Bring before? it in. Uh, it's yeah. way worse. Bring it uh, in. So this year, two years ago, two years before that, two years before that, all the way back to like 1996, we've heard 
this is the most important election of our lifetimes, right? Every year we hear that, right? The most important election of our lifetimes is when God chose us in Jesus Christ. Oh, mic, mic drop. <laughs> Jesus juke. <laughs> that was beautiful, Jason. You like that? I worked hard on that. I one. like that. <laughs> so, so what are the, let's, let's go, we have just a few more minutes left. Let's, let's talk about the eschatological, eschatological implications so this, here. This wraps up in how we think about yeah. the end of time. Yep. And, and, and this is not the deciding factor, but it's one of the deciding factors on why I'm an all-millennialist and not a premillennialist. The, the, the premillennialist, and especially the dispensational premillennialist conception of eschatology is that Jesus sneaks his church out of creation into heaven, and then Jesus comes back and he rules and reigns here on earth physically for a thousand years, and then judgment day hits. Which right before his crucifixion, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So why in his power and his glory would he make his kingdom of this world? Jesus' kingdom is not of this world because Jesus reigns by the gospel. The kingdom of God is salvation. And so I I see in Scripture, even with understanding Revelation 20, no need for an earthly reign of Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. this is the text where I find that. Yeah, not only that, but when he talks about the kingdom of God is like, is like, is like, he's referencing... Uh, a growing kingdom that starts small and grows. And he's, he's clearly referencing the growth of the church. He's clearly referencing the spread of the gospel uh, as, as the nature of the kingdom in all of these things. And so when he says it's not of this world, this all leads somewhere. My, my, my faith in Jesus Christ, uh, my election to go back to your, yeah, it comes, comes back. Our, our election is about um, where we are headed in Christ. And where is that going to be? And the kingdom is, is never about here. I, and I, I just have never been able to wrap my mind around that. And we're going to have premillennialists uh, probably writing in or, or, you know, sending emails or whatnot, or, or, you know, chiming in or, or whatever else. But the idea is uh, that, that, that earthly focus, I think, is tied part and parcel with those who go out and fight in the wrong way in the left-hand kingdom. Right. Well, and those who got are are the same ones who are are, are almost almost becomes a post millennial thing. Like we're going to make it good enough for Jesus to come back. That's a misrepresentation of post millennialism, but to, close enough. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so you're going this this one way or the other. Understanding what I would hold to the millennial position is the kingdom of God isn't of this world. It's very much active. It's very much won by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's, it very much finds itself uh, being observed now in the right-hand kingdom, and, which is the church. And the, if Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, it's not subject to temporal circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not driven by the winds of change that human history is. There's two things I want to bring up. One is an argument from silence, and, and then one, I think, helps illustrate why we, we go this way. The first one is, if you think about the kingdom parables, Jesus doesn't ever say, my kingdom is like this one time when I'm going to come back and rule on earth perfectly as divine God of the universe, even though there's going to be some evil out there on the fringes. You know, can you imagine him saying that in any of the kingdom parables in Matthew or Luke? It wouldn't make any sense. I mean, we wouldn't even understand that right now. It's, I have never once been able to figure out if Jesus is ruling and reigning on earth, how evil still exists, how that's even an option. And that's the only premillennial interpretation of Revelation 20 that I know of, right? Mm. 
the, I think the better one, that's a little unfair and it's an argument from silence, but the better one is to think about the armor of God. I think this really comes into play when we're talking about Christ's kingdom. The armor of God, you have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth, and the shoes of the gospel of peace, and the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith, right? Every one of those elements points us to Jesus Christ, not to our activities. Mm -hmm. You know, all of those, the answer is Jesus. But then the activity of a soldier of Jesus wearing the armor of God is not to do battle with Satan on the front lines. Mm -hmm. It's to pray. Mm-hmm. And in fact, battle with Satan on the front lines looks like prayer. It doesn't look like us marching into Baghdad, getting on a soapbox and preaching the gospel until we're martyred. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not probably called to do that, right? And so if Jesus' kingdom were of this earth, the armor of God passage would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Yeah. It, would, it would be impossible to understand. Well, the, I mean, to use that illustration, I think the armor of God is Jesus. Yeah. Right. I think it's it's one and the same. All of those all of those characteristics that are equated to some sort of armor piece are his characteristics, right? Yep. Um, but in that, what is the only offensive weapon? We've heard that before as we've if we've as yep, we've the, listened the to sword. Ephesians six yep. is the sword. That's the only offensive weapon. What is it? It's the word. The proclamation in the right hand kingdom of the forgiveness of sins is the conquest. It is the it is the going out and proclaiming the forgiveness of sins in Christ. That's what the word does. Whoever listens to truth listens. Or whoever's of the truth listens to my voice. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is, is that in ancient battle, you know, hand to hand combat, the sword was just as much a defensive weapon mm-hmm. as it was yeah. an offensive yep. weapon. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways. Our defense is the word, and our offense is the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Well. Um, yeah, we're we're at the end here of the whole Augsburg Confession wow. too. Uh, what a way to end the Augsburg yeah. Confession! Can I, can I right. before we end? Can I ask a question though? Going back to just this particular, what does the end look like for the two kingdoms? When we once Christ is returned, what's that? The two kingdoms are united. So I the, think we want to want yeah. to end on that. I think we want to clear that up because I think that's important to know. The, the, the world. Because. Because eternity isn't this ethereal spiritual existence, it's a tangible physical existence, the temporal kingdom is remade into an eternal kingdom when it is redeemed and perfected on Judgment Day. All right. Yeah. And then both kingdoms are united where God will rule and reign in a physical eternity by the gospel. Yep. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Right. Amen. Amen. Come quickly. <laughs> Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yeah. That and that's a that's a good place. That's to a end. better place to end the yeah, Augsburg. Good job, Adam. Whole Augsburg confession. Yeah. I knew I could do it. Good job. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. The Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary invites you to their campus in Plymouth, Minnesota, for the 2023 Seminary Symposium. It's on January 11th through the 13th. Speakers will consider the influence of the early church fathers and the implications for the church today. To find more information, look at flbc.edu events. God bless you and have a great week.